Today, our teacher is going to be a man named Daniel. We're going to look at uh, the, guy, or the book of Daniel, chapter 6, and we're going to look at a situation in which Daniel had to trust. Now, let me give you some context a little bit for the story that I'm about to read to you. It comes from Daniel 6. Daniel is a Jewish man, and he's living in Babylon. He was born in Israel, but he was raised in Babylon. That's because when he was very young, the Babylonians went and invaded Israel. Uh, they invaded, they really uh, wrecked Jerusalem, they destroyed the temple, and then what they did was they took all the intelligentsia, the ruling classes, the military officers, the artisans, and they deported them back to Babylon to make them work for the Babylonian government. That's what happened to Daniel. He was very, very young when that happened. Um, but now he's working for the government, and he is ascending the ranks, and we find that he faces a situation where he has to trust and I'm especially excited about today's passage because this isn't only offering a, a sort of situation that we might relate to in one way or another, but I hope that what we're going to talk about today will give you a way, like um, learning how to trust, how you do it. So let's take a look now at Daniel chapter 6. Beginning at verse 1, it pleased Darius to appoint, Darius is the king of Babylon, by the way. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. So there's a little cabinet that's overseeing it, and Daniel's one of those three. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom you know when you do really well at work and they want to promote you? How do the people around you feel about that usually? Maybe not so, maybe not so great. That's what happened to Daniel. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to found grounds to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. He didn't steal pencils from the office. He didn't use the company card in a bad way. Total integrity. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Remember, Babylon is an international city. They have lots of people from different places, and they all have different gods, and the Babylonians are fine with that. If you have five gods, why not have seven? Ten would be fun, but they know that Daniel just believes in one God. And that his belief governs what he does, that he's different than the rest of them. And so they're going to use that as a way to take him down. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. They went as a group. What cowards. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed. No, they haven't all agreed. Daniel didn't that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who praised any god or human being during the next 30 days except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered. They're trying to do it quick to trap Daniel in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned what the decree, that the decree had been published, watch this now, this is his trust. He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Would you please pray with me? 
Our Father, we give you thanks that you help us in our journey of faith. We give you thanks that we do not walk alone when we walk, but you're with us. And I pray that you would walk with us now as I speak, as we think together about this story. Would you be the one who speaks to us? Would you teach us how to trust? And we pray, Father, that you would help us to know how much you love us and then give us the strength to love you back. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, here's what we're going to talk about today when it comes to trust. One of the ways that you can trust God is that you can pray. That's what Daniel does. When he's in a situation which is exceedingly difficult, where his life is on the line, you could have imagined that he knew Darius, the king, well enough to go to Darius and say, hey, look, there's a big misunderstanding here. Let's get this taken care of. He doesn't do that. The first thing that he does is he goes back and he prays. And so what I want to do today is talk to all of us, think together, about prayer. This is a sermon about prayer. This is a sermon about trusting God that he really is actually listening to you when you speak to him. It's about learning how to pray together. And I'll tell you the truth, as a pastor, I have some misgivings about preaching or teaching about prayer. It's a difficult thing to do. Here's one of the reasons why. Is that when pastors start talking to people about prayer, and I can see it on your faces right now, by the way, a sort of wash of shame comes over. You're like, oh no, prayer. I know I should do that more. You start to feel like you don't pray well enough or you don't pray often enough or nobody really ever taught you how to pray. It isn't something that you know how to do. And so I see this shame come over people's faces. Whenever I talk to people about prayer, they automatically feel kind of, they shrivel up a little bit the same way that you do when you go to the dentist and you're sitting in the chair and, and the dentist is speaking to you and the dentist says, so how often do you floss? And you say, oh, quite a bit I do often. And, you know, and meanwhile, you're spitting in that little twirly thing and just completely all bloody. And you, she knows you're not flossing. And it's the same way when I talk to people at prayer. They say, oh, I, I, I know I should. I, I'll do it more. I'll do it more. But it's this thing that some of us feel like we never really learned how to do. That maybe we got up to adulthood and now we just don't know how to pray. Nobody really ever taught us to do it. And it feels like we're kind of lost a little bit. And so one of the reasons that I have this misgiving about uh, talking about prayer is this sort of shame, this sort of feeling like there's, but let's, let's, let's leave that aside. There's another uh, misgiving that I have about prayer, and that is that a lot of us feel like we don't know how to do it. That somebody should have taught us somewhere along the way to learn how to pray, and we just never got there. And I sort of feel like that that's sort of what a lot of adulthood is. You get to a certain age and you just fake like you know how to do things. And I think a lot of us just fake like we know how to pray, even though maybe we don't. But you get to adulthood and you kind of, all these things are asked of you and you don't know how to do them. I remember when I went to college. Um, when I got to college, I got a phone call from my mom and she said, what you need to do, I gave you that money, is open a bank account. I said, okay. So I went down to the bank and I opened the bank account. And then my mom called me about two weeks later and she said, did you open the bank account? I said, yeah. And she said, are you balancing your checkbook? And I said, yeah. Even though I didn't, I didn't know what balancing a checkbook meant. It wasn't just that I didn't know how to do it. I didn't even know what it was. And I actually feel kind of great now because I, I outlived the technology. I, you, I don't use checks anymore. And so now I really don't have to balance my checkbook. You know, it's just completely in the past. So that doesn't, I don't have to balance my checkbook now, right? Is that true? Okay, let's, no, it's, don't, let's not talk about it. Um, 
I think it's the same in prayer. You get to a certain time and you say, are you praying? Yeah. Do you know how to pray? Yeah. But to both of those things, let's, let's, let's give a little answer to both of those things. The first is that this discussion about prayer, this, this, this teaching that comes from Daniel, let's let everyone and everything in except shame. If you pray a lot and you feel fervent about prayer, you're welcome in. If you don't feel like you know how to pray and you almost never pray at all or you don't pray, you're welcomed in. The only thing that's not welcome here is shame. So if shame begins to knock on your door a little bit and want to come in and you're thinking you don't pray enough, you don't know how, just say, no, no thanks, none for me today. Just turn it away at the door. And the second thing that we'll do is if you're thinking, I'm not sure I know what prayer is, let's, let's use a different word. Let's use the word that Daniel uses. Take a look at verse 11. This is amazing. It says, then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Do you see that word praying? That is a translation of a Hebrew word that is not used for prayer anywhere else in the Bible. In fact, it's never used of the act of prayer. It's translated prayer here, and it's a good translation, but not even in any of the extant literature is the word that's used there in Hebrew used for prayer. Instead, that word praying means to seek or to look for, to try to find the thing that you need, to look for the one or the thing that you need. So maybe today we'll use, instead of the word prayer, we'll use the word seek. Because every single one of us is seeking for things that we need. We're seeking for things that we can't do for ourselves. We want peace. We want uh, not just the absence of conflict. We actually want shalom in our lives. We seek that. We can seek God for that. We have things that are going on in our lives in terms of relationships, family, or friends. We're seeking things. We can ask God for those things. We look out into the world and we see things that aren't good that are destructive or hurtful, we can seek God for those things. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about how Daniel seeks, and it's a way to trust God. So that's what we're going to learn. We're going to learn it in three ways. Daniel teaches that we must seek God faithfully, that we must seek God gratefully, and that we must seek God hopefully. Faithfully, gratefully, hopefully. Three points. They all ended in fully. Did you notice that? And did you notice the first letter of each one? F, G, H, alphabetical order as well. See, I went to Princeton, and they, it's, it's, so. All right. All these points are going to come from the same verse, verse 10. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Let's look at how God, uh, Daniel seeks God faithfully. He prays to God faithfully. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Do you want to learn how to pray? Do you want to learn how to trust God? You have to seek God faithfully. Now, here's what I mean by faithfully. I mean regularly. I mean with a schedule. I mean doing it in a disciplined way. When I say faithfully, I don't mean you have to pray faithfully. You have to really mean it. You have to really have a lot of verve. You have to have a lot of faith. That's not what I mean by faithfully here. Here, I simply mean to do it regularly. This is what we're being told in this verse. How does Daniel pray? He plays, prays faithfully three times a day, just as he had done before. It's telling us that he has a schedule. Look, he's going back to pray. Do you know why he's going? He's not going because he's been betrayed by his friends. He's not going to pray because his life is now on the line. That's not why he's going to pray. He's going to pray because he always prays. Morning, noon, 
and night. It's not governed by his circumstances. If the people had plotted, the people hadn't plotted against him, he would have gone and prayed. They did plot against him, so he went and he prayed. He got that promotion, so he went and prayed. If he hadn't gotten the promotion, he would have gone to pray. His prayer life is not determined by his circumstances. Instead, he just shows up. So much of life is just showing up. I had a friend in seminary whose father was one of the illustrators for the Saturday Evening Post. He would do those illustrations. And he said that his father said, you know, uh, I'm only inspired about 10% of the time. But I need to make sure that I'm in front of the easel when that 10% comes. And it's the same with their prayer lives. You just have to show up. Sometimes you're going to feel inspired. Sometimes you're not. It doesn't say here that Daniel is really into prayer and he has a great prayer life. It doesn't say that. He might be really into it. He might have a lot of joy in his prayer life. He might really love to do it. He might, but we don't know. All we do know is that he prays morning and noon, he night. He's faithful. And we don't call that geyser out west old faithful because it really means it when it sprays all the water. No, we call it Old Faithful because every 90 minutes it sprays that hot mist all over the place. It's faithful, and that's why we call it faithful. What Daniel's teaching us here is that being faithful in prayer just means regular. It means showing up. It's not motivated by your circumstances. Look, sometimes when you're feeling really in trouble, you pray. That's good. If you're not sure what you're supposed to do or you have a really bad problem or somebody's sick, you pray. That's a great motivation to prayer. Keep doing that. And sometimes you feel really thankful and you want to give thanks to God and that motivates your prayer. Keep doing that. But Daniel's also saying that sometimes it really has to just be when you show up morning and noon and night. He is just showing up to do it. And you know, if you decide to be faithful in your prayer, if you have a time that you go, you just always go, one of the advantages of that is the real you is more likely to show up. Because if you pray according to your... Hey there. I don't think it's for me, but I'll check. No, it's not. I don't know who that is. <laughs> I don't have anything to say about that. I was trying to think of something witty to say, but I don't have anything. Nothing. Um, the real you is going to show up if you pray faithfully. And here's why. Because if you think that you have to show up and you have to really, if you think faithful means, okay, I really mean it. And you're going to say, oh God, thou art thee in thyself. And you'll try to be somebody that maybe you're not. But if you know that every morning you're going to pray and you're bored when you show up, then you just pray and you say, God, I'm bored. I'm bored of praying to you now. And the next day you might be really fervent and you might feel really excited and say, God, I'm thankful. It's the real you showing up. And God wants the real you to show up in prayer, not somebody that you're not, not somebody that you're trying to be. God loves you as you are, not as you should be. And so your prayer life, when it's regular, it means that you just show up. Not because you're in trouble, not because you're feeling extra spiritual, it just means that you're going to show up. And that's a good thing to do. Now, Let's finish this point up by saying, how would you do that? How would you pray faithfully? How do you uh, have a regular time of prayer? Now, some of you, you know, I know already do. But if you don't and you're like, man, well, maybe I'd like to do that. Let me offer two suggestions. Here's the first. One is to take one psalm. Did you know right in the middle of your Bibles is a prayer book? That there are 150 psalms. 
And if you wanted to have a regular faithful prayer life, you want to very faithfully like Daniel, maybe you would choose one Psalm each day and read it through. And then for five minutes, talk to God about it. Read it through and the questions you have about it or the confusion that you have about it or the joy you have about it. You read that Psalm through and you pray it and you talk to God for five minutes, just five, start with five. Don't read a book about Martin Luther and hear how he prayed for three hours, seven days a week before anything. Don't do that. You'll, you'll quit after three days. But if you start with five minutes and you say, this is what I do. This is how I'm going to pray regularly. And then maybe at night, you pray through that psalm again and you just give five minutes. That's one way to pray faithfully. Here's the second way. And it's you learn how to pray from other people. I bet you maybe there are people in your lives you think, I think maybe they know how to pray. I think that there's something inside of them that I want to I find. How did they get there? That you can go to somebody that you know and say, will you teach me to pray? Will you help me? How do you pray? It's not something that we talk about. We kind of get a little bit private. We get a little quiet. It's a little shy. But learning from other people, and one of the ways you can do that is, some of you know that we have in this church something called connect groups. We're really going to be starting them up again in the fall. I would implore you, one of the best ways to learn how to pray is to pray with other people, to pray and to learn from other people who have done it, who have walked before you. So Daniel teaches us that we have to pray faithfully. If you want to trust God, pray faithfully. So here's the second way, is that we have to seek or pray to God gratefully. The first thing we see is faithfully, and now we're going to see gratefully, and it comes from the very same verse. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. A part of Daniel's regular prayer life is that he's thankful. He thanks God for the things that God has given him. Now, what does Daniel have to be thankful for? Think about it. Don't say anything out loud. Daniel's had a difficult life. Daniel, when he was very, very young, again, Babylon came and invaded Israel, destroyed the city where he lived, and took him, kidnapped him, and took him back to Babylon. He was very, very young when that happened. He's about 80 years old when this is happening here. And I don't know what happened to Daniel's family when that invasion took place, but I shudder to think. I don't know. So he's deported. He goes to another country. Now he has to work for that government. They're indoctrinating him. He learns a new language. He doesn't have the language that he grew up with. And now he's living in this place that he never expected to grow up in. And now, as he's ruling and in working in this government, now he's being preyed upon around the people around him. What does he have to be thankful for? And this is one of the disciplines that he takes on. He decides to be thankful, not governed by his circumstances, but instead trying to recognize the good in his life and to recognize that God's presence is with him and to be thankful for that. And he's guiding us here. He's teaching us here that even in difficult circumstances, we can find ways to be thankful and grateful. Take a look at this, 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 this text from Psalm 92. I don't know for sure that uh, Daniel was pr uh, praying this, but I think he might have been. Psalm 92 starts, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. And there you see that, that morning and night there again. There's an order to prayer, but also here it's beginning with thanks. It says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord. Did you know it is good to give thanks to the Lord? It is as good as an apple or the ocean 
or the smell of firewood burning or a good friend, it is good to give thanks. And Daniel is giving thanks before he knows how his story is going to turn out. And this is part of the reason that I didn't take us all the way to the lion's den. And spoiler alert, he gets out of the lion's den, but I didn't want to get there. And here's why. Because Daniel's still in the middle of his story. He doesn't know that he's going to end up in all those children's books. He doesn't know that there's going to be a flannel graph about him. And he's going to go into the den and then he's going to get out. He doesn't know that. He's in the middle of his story. And he's still giving thanks. If I preach a sermon and I say, give thanks and be like Daniel because Daniel got in a lot of bad trouble and God rescued him and everything turned out fine. So he was thankful. Well, that's a different kind of sermon. But Daniel is thanking God here before he knows what's going to happen. He's in the middle of his story and you all are in the middle of your stories too. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how things are going to go with your parents. You don't know how things are going to go with your children or your siblings. You don't know how your business is going to turn out. You don't know how about that health thing that's going on. You're still in the middle of your story. And Daniel says, you can still be thankful. Now here, one of the things that I also have reservations about is I look out and I know a number of you, some of you are going through really hard things. Some of you are in a really difficult patch, a difficult season of life. And so you hear me standing up here and you say, I'm saying, you should be thankful And I do want to say that, but I also have misgivings because I know people are going through difficult things. But here's the thing. I can't say everything in every sermon. Is part of prayer lament? Absolutely. Is part of prayer complaining to God and, and crying out to God and saying, God, why, how long? The Psalms are full of it. It has to be part of your prayer life. But also one of the things that can help you to be a person who trusts in God is to be thankful in your prayers, even when it is difficult to see what to be thankful for. God will always be able to show you ways that he has blessed you, ways that you can be thankful. You know, you probably are reading all the same things that I am hearing on the radio, that gratitude is something that is good for your body and your spirit, your mind. You've heard this, yes? Yeah? When you're a Christian, when you are a follower of Jesus, you know who you are to be thankful to. You know the one who's given you all those good gifts. You're not just grateful in general, you're grateful to him. And so this is the second thing that we see. We see first that we seek God faithfully. When you do it regularly, it can help you to trust. And when you seek God thankfully, you can do it, even if you're in the middle of your story and you are. So here's our last point, faithfully, gratefully. And now we're going to see how we can seek God hopefully. Same verse, here we go, verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. The windows opened toward Jerusalem. He's praying towards Jerusalem and he opens up the doors and he's praying. Now, how does this show us that we have to pray hopefully? Some people look at this and they say, oh, what this is teaching us is Daniel didn't care who saw him. He opened up the windows and he didn't care. He was bold in his faith. Maybe. But another way to look at this is he opens up his windows and he's praying towards Jerusalem. And he's not only praying towards Jerusalem, he's praying for Jerusalem. Because remember, that's his hometown. And remember, he saw it burned to the ground. And at this point, it's not rebuilt yet. So he's looking towards Jerusalem and he's saying, God built a kingdom there. And it was 
It was torn away. It was attacked and torn away. But I know that God is going to rebuild his kingdom. I know he's going to rebuild the temple. I know he's promised he is going to make his kingdom known. He's praying hopefully. Even though there's no indication. I mean, he's all the way back in Babylon. And you know what's going on in Jerusalem at that time? Poverty. And the temple's still not being rebuilt. He's looking, he's saying, well, the kingdom isn't being rebuilt yet, but I'm going to pray hopefully. And how that teaches us to pray hopefully is that we look around in our city, in our country, in our world, and we might have occasion to say, things are not like they're supposed to be. I'm looking and God's kingdom is not coming. It's been torn away in some kind of way. And whether you're a person on the political left or you're a person on the political right or you're somewhere in between, you probably can say the same thing. You look and you say, man, things are not the way that they're supposed to be. And Daniel is saying, even though things are not the way they're supposed to be, he's gonna pray hopefully. He's going to take God at his word and say, God is going to rebuild his kingdom. God is going to build up and bring justice and beauty and truth to this city and to this uh, state and to this country and to this world. We can look, and instead of being outraged and really angry, that's one of the things that you can do when you look out at the world and you say, that's not the way that things are supposed to be. And you can look out and you can say, I'm going to do something about it. And it can make you sort of outraged and angry. And you say, these are biblical issues and we've really got to get on top of these. It's good to be biblical. But Psalm 37 says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. That God is going to triumph over all the injustice and all of the, all of the mess that we're making of the world. And we can pray, hopefully, that's what Daniel's doing. And some of you know what it's like to be in Daniel's shoes, to look at something that has been torn apart but you can look at it and say, God is going to build something up good. So those are the three ways that I'm giving us to trust. To trust and to seek and to pray to God faithfully. Do it regularly. To trust and to pray and to seek God gratefully. To be grateful for all the gifts that God has given and to seek out God hopefully, to know that he's gonna do good things. And I'm sorry that I didn't even get us to the lion's den. We'll just have to remember what that story is. You remember that story, right? That Daniel, who was destined to rule, was falsely accused by his brothers. And so then he was put down into that pit of destruction and darkness. But God raised him up and brought him out. And he was able to rule. And that reminds us of somebody much, much later, many years later, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was destined to rule, was betrayed and accused falsely by his brothers. And for it, he was put down into the pit, a pit of destruction and darkness so much deeper than that den of lions. And even though he bore all that sin and death and brokenness that's all of ours, God raised him up from the dead and has given him the name that is above every name. And so now the one that we pray to, that we're seeking, he is ruling and reigning now. He is the king. And do you know what else is true about that king? The one that we seek, he's seeking you. That one who is raised up from the dead, who will never die again, he is seeking you. And you might not seek him faithfully enough or regularly enough or hopefully or gratefully or any other follies, but he is seeking you. And it says in the book of Revelation that he is coming and he is knocking at your door and he is coming not to tell you that your prayer life is terrible and he is not coming to say that you've done the wrong things. He is coming, the book of Revelation says, to make a home with you and to have a meal with you and to begin to make all things new because he is the king. Amen? Amen. 
Amen. Let's seek God faithfully. Let's pray. Dear God, we give you thanks that you are a God who does not wait for us, but you run out to us to seek us out, even as we run from you sometimes. So we pray, Father, that you would help us to seek you out faithfully, to do it regularly, to do it with, with discipline. Some of us don't have much of that, but we pray that you would help us. Help us to seek you gratefully, to see all the things in our lives that we can be grateful for that you've given us. We pray, Father, also that you'd help us to do that hopefully. We know you're making all things new. And so we offer up these prayers to you in Jesus' name. Amen.